Woe to you who long for the day of the Lord. (laughs) That's what we're getting into today, Jonathan, here in podcast number nine. So if you're a little bit sleepy out there, wake up because we're going to bring a word of woe today, right, Jonathan? (laughs) A word of woe. Doesn't feel it. Doesn't feel like a word of woe. A day of woe in South Carolina. It's How, 80 and sunny. 80 and sunny. Oh, wow. We're, God is shining on us right now here. So uh, my name's Pastor Tim Borman. I'm with my brother, Jonathan Borman. He's pastor down there in South Carolina, where apparently it's nice and warm in 80, <laughs> 85. But up here in New York City, it's uh, raining and in the 40s, I believe. <laughs> So, and I'm pastor here at Sure Foundation Lutheran Church, and despite the weather, I'm happy to be here. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm happy to be there, right in line with the weather. <laughs> yeah, yeah right, right here, right in line with the weather. So, are you ready for this, Jonathan, to get into this word of woe from Amos? <laughs> Yeah, how intimidating. I mean, get us into it here. So we have a hammer on us already. So woe to you. That's how we're just so you know, we're going to take Amos 5. We're picking it up at verse 18. And let's see if we can get all the way to verse 27 today. And and what Amos is going to do is he's going to sort of kind of continue on with that that biblical lament, that obituary that we saw last time. And he's going to continue on with that. And he's going to come to Israel now and he's going to say, woe to you. Woe to you. Which, I mean, let's put this, let's just go ahead and put this woe inside of a bigger biblical context right away. Because a biblical woe is the very opposite of a biblical beatitude. (laughs) You know, so you have blessed statements in the Bible, right? And sometimes they come... Sometimes they come disconnected from each other, but there are examples in the Bible of biblical woes being tied together with biblical beatitudes, like in the Sermon on the Plain. Is that in Luke 6? I'm trying to remember. You have woes and blessings side by side. but Exactly, point, Luke's Gospel, yeah. So mm-hmm. they have, but it, it, the point is here that they're exact opposite. If God's going to bless you, it's going to be amazing. Like, it's just going to be amazing. But if God's going to woe you, oh no. <laughs> yeah, like when when you think about the biblical woe. <laughs> yeah. He, I, my mind We're was, not talking to horses here. You know, yeah, we're not talking to horses. Like... <laughs> I didn't even think about that. <laughs> Sorry, this is equestrian country in South Carolina. I had to say that. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah, no, we're talking about the 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 opposite of blessing, so a woe. Jesus, like, to, just to give you an idea of how powerful it is when God speaks a word of woe against you. Um, I, I still remember visiting those cities like Chorazin and Bethsaida. Capernaum. Capernaum. Jesus said, he said, woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. Woe to you, uh, Capernaum. And when I visited the Holy Land, and Jonathan, you were there with me, 
those cities are absolute rubble. Yeah, yeah. I remember standing there in Capernaum on the on the right there on the Sea of Galilee and going, where is this place? I mean, not there's not a soul that lives there. I mean, not even a goat was there. It was, it was just, you know, ruins. This is like, like, I'm trying to compare this to something, but like in our legal system, if a judge uh, pronounces sentence on you, that it's kind of like that. And and there's power in that when God says, "Whoa, do you watch out? It's coming." You know, the flip side of that is if God says, "Blessed are you," <laughs> you can you can not only feel blessed, but know that that blessing's right around the corner. These are yeah, and it's God words. has made a judgment to bring to shower you with His goodness. And here's the interesting thing about this woe. You, you would actually expect it to be a beatitude, cause, but it's not, because he says, woe to you who long for the day of the Lord. You would, you could, you know, you kind of think like, blessed are you who long for the day of the Lord, because, you know, when when God shows up and... For his people. He yeah, appear when... against theophany, God's gonna, he's promising to appear. You expect him to come to rescue and to bless. And and that's a long-standing understanding of what it means for for the day of the Lord to come. Like if if you can think about when God showed up in Israel's life in Egypt, <laughs> remember what happened there, Jonathan? <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. I mean, you can expect God to show up and do some amazing things for you, and not against you. He'll take you out of slavery, right? <laughs> yeah. He'll, yeah. he'll part the he'll seas. He'll take down Pharaoh for you. Yeah, he'll drown an entire army. And so, like, Israel was thinking, oh, this is going to be great when God shows up. This is going to be amazing. <laughs> it's going to be this great deliverance. But, but Amos actually does something absolutely unprecedented. The first thing that he does is he coins a phrase. And, and that phrase becomes huge biblical phrase. He, he starts talking about the day of the Lord. So this is the first time that phrase is used. Can you think of, I'm trying to think like of all the different times this phrase comes up in the Bible. Well, in the New Testament, I mean, it. I, I don't want to jump too quick, but you, a lot of the other prophets will bring this up too, but... Um, I'm thinking about Jeremiah. I'm thinking about Isaiah. Am I right? Oh, then, yeah. And the minor prophets. I mean, if you read the minor day prophets, of the, Lord, the day of the Lord, the book the day of the, of the twelve, Lord. like you read th- like uh, uh, Joel, you know, the, the, the day of the Lord is this big time blessing. Um, it's, this, it's this thing that God's going to show up. And, uh, and then in the New Testament, like you said, it's, you, it's like every other page. You're, the believers are waiting for this return of God to, to happen. For and the for, day of the Lord. It's like yeah. that's the whole New Testament consciousness. Like the New Testament believer just sits there and go, God could come tomorrow. So I the can't con- wait. So like the concept, um, I was listening to a commentator on this, the concept of the day of the Lord is is very old. You know, you can track it all the way back to... Exodus, and you can track, but and you track it all the way up to Amos. He coins the phrase "Day of the Lord," 
And then you can track that forward all the way up to Revelation, right? This is yeah. It's just a huge phrase, but Amos, like he loves to do, and we've been talking about this throughout the book, is what we have here is this dramatic reversal. You know that you think God's showing up to save you, and then He's actually not. That's right. He's it's, so. In other words, what Amos is saying is, you're not my people, because God, whenever God shows up for His people. He shows up to save them. And so Amos is putting them inside the category of, you're not my people. Lo a me. Yeah, not my people. Who trust, <laughs> who trust in me. Yeah, you're not, you're not my people. Like in, and I was thinking about, I was thinking about, we trace this day of the Lord idea all the way to Revelation. And the first thing that we're told in Revelation, which is the last book of the Bible, is that finally when the day of the Lord comes, and this, you know, Christians believe that that is then, the day that Jesus comes to judge the living and the dead, that when Jesus shows up, um, we're told that we're going to look and that every eye is going to see him, even those that pierce him. And it says all peoples on earth, and this is where it gets dicey, all peoples on earth will mourn because of him. Yeah. I mean, so you, you hear that and you're like, if you're not in the family of God, when the day of the Lord happens, like it's doom, you know, yeah. and that's the idea of woe, right? There's this hymn. There's this hymn that we sing at Sure Foundation. It's called "Lo, He Comes." <laughs> yeah, yeah. And like I think it's in verse three where where it, it repeats that phrase, "They will mourn, they will mourn." And every time I sing that, I'm like, "Whoa, this isn't very joyful." <laughs> they're gonna. Yeah, this is really. They're mourning ooh. that he's coming and. It's like, oh Lord, bring repentance that 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 people would lift up their heads and and uh, acknowledge uh, Jesus' lordship. Which and, I mean, that that transitions us to the next idea too. Like, what's going on here? That these are people who have left behind their God. What's what's going on? Well, hold on a second. I I wanted to compare this to something just so we kind of get this this reversal like deep in our in our in our brains and kind of bring this home for for everybody. This would what Amos did here with the day of the Lord and his reversal. One commentator compared it to a student who thought he sh he he's going to get an A plus on a, on a paper that he wrote and then the professor gives it back and gives him an F. Oh. Or or, th or this would be like the happily married husband he thinks everything's hunky-dory at home and then suddenly the wife files for divorce and you're just like what yeah or he, here's another one the same commentator gave, gave this comparison it's like it's like the employee who thinks they're doing they just did this amazing job in a project and the boss comes back and says your work stinks you're fired. Like it's, yeah. and, and so like Amos really wants to rock the spiritual world of his listeners, including us. He, he really wants us to think, um, if you think you're this great, amazing Christian, 
and you're living out God's will, you got another thing coming for you. You see that? Like, you got to get your boat rocked. Amos is saying. And, and I think he does that in some amazing ways. He says, why do you really want God to show up? Because that day is going to be of darkness, not light. That's the end of verse 18. It's going to be as though, here's verse 19, it will be as though a man fled from a lion only to meet a bear. Like you thought, whoa, you thought you're gonna, you were as, getting away from As though he entered just, his house and rested his hand on the, on the wall only to find a snake bite him. Wow. So yeah, like you say, it's this reversals that expectations like, God, I'm nailing it for you right now. Like I'm amazing, amazing Christian. I am, I am pulling off your law. <laughs> I am doing the rules. And when you show up, you are going to give me a huge pat on the back. And Amos is like, no, you're going to get eaten by a bear. Yeah. What he said. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, ah! <laughs> there's a snake <laughs> that's going to bite you. Yeah. Oh, and he speaks a word of woe into that. He speaks a word of woe into that. And Massive already wake up call. Talked Massive about call. the power of that. So, yeah. So, take us into the next section then. Take us into the next section. Well, and so the transition here is then like, what's going on, God? What? Why, why are you giving me an F when I thought I was getting an A? Like, what's. <laughs> What's going on? And then you can see, you can see God is, this is where it's so interesting about these next verses is God is so personal. Like this is not the Lord doesn't, you know, the Lord's not really into this or something like that. This is, I hate. So it's an, it's and the first person God personal is, pronoun. For the, and he's using the most vigorous. <laughs> yeah. He's, I hate, he's, he's sharing his heart with you. And how stirred up he is in the most vigorous way possible. I hate. I despise. Um, he uses language like that. I desp I hate. And then he says, I despise. So he doubles up the language there, right? Yeah. And here's what he hates and despises. Your religious festivals, your assemblies are a stench to me. Yeah. So he's... What he, what we have here? This is really interesting. I love I love how Amos is so like rhetorically uh, thoughtful because what he does is he 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 talks about these things that he hates and despises, and he's got no regard for them. He's um, not going to accept them. He's got seven of them, and that's that's a big. It's so deliberate. You it's know, seven. Uh, ritual um liturgical things that he's gonna reject so number so one. this is church life i mean this yeah. is and specifically worship life you could call this like ecclesiastical life like this is what you do in your church so what this are is the what, this what is what are, he's talking about <laughs> what are the seven liturgical sins that amos names because i think it's important that we name and claim the sins again. <laughs> all right, all right. Let's do and it. Then, Let's... And then we need to notice what's not included in the list. Which okay. Is, which is sometimes when you're interpreting a passage, it you got to be careful about not making arguments from silence. But here I think we can point out what's missing from the list. So what are the seven sins? 
those seven liturgical sins. All right, I'm, you want it? Name them and claim them, Timothy. Name yep. them and claim them. <laughs> <laughs> so we got one festivals, God hates them. Two assemblies, God hates them. Burnt offerings, um, He hates them. Grain offerings, that's four. He hates them. Um, he's not going to accept five fellowship offerings. Um, he's going to have no regard for them. Six, he's he he doesn't want to listen to your songs. So he says, away with the noise of your songs. And, and then number seven is, I'm not going to listen to the music of your harps. You know, let me, okay, Amos. <laughs> so we okay, should become Amos. Quakers, I guess. <laughs> no, well, I mean, let's push, okay, Amos, let me just push back against this, Amos. Like, God told us to. I mean, how many, I, I can point to so many times in the Old Testament, in the Psalms, in, in, in the Levitical law, in the Mosaic law, I can point to all these places where God said, do exactly that. So what is, I mean, what is, is Amos, are you, are you talking out of both sides of your mouth? Are you really a prophet of God? Are you telling us not to do things that God told us earlier to do? What's going on? So there are, there actually are some scholars that'll look at this section and they'll say that um, Amos is actually trying to, here's a word that they use, de-ritualize Israel's religion. So they're trying to get rid of the nation, like he's trying to get rid of the nation's sacramental life. And he's, gonna, he's abolishing Moses, basically. Get rid of the sacrificial system get rid of temple worship. Amos says, I, you know, the Lord says, I hate all of that. That's I don't want, I don't want you worshiping at the temple anymore. Be done with it. Yeah. Just be done with it. And, and like we can respond to that. I think using other scriptures, but also, um, looking a little bit more closely here at Amos, when we look more broadly at scripture, we see that, um, Prophets like Amos, uh, they do speak words against ritualized worship. And, but other prophets actually speak words for, for ritualized worship. And like you think about uh, like the prophet Isaiah and the prophet Jeremiah and the prophet Haggai those guys were actually advocating for the rebuilding of the temple. Okay. Well, and Jesus does yeah. too. Jesus pays the temple tax, you know? Yep. Yeah, that's exactly right. So, so, so to say that um, Israel's moving on towards a more modern kind of worship that eliminates ritual and liturgy is just plain wrong. It's wrong. We're going to take the word of God and the different practices God gave us in his word out of the church. That's not what's happening here. No, it's not. It's not. So what is happening here? What is what is Amos trying to say then? The criticism isn't against the forms of worship. And I think we got to be clear about that. Like, it's not against the forms of worship, like how they were worshiping was indeed how Moses told him to worship, at least in, in these named instances. Mm -hmm. um, but it was in a heart that was missing from it. Yes. 
Yes. We so would it, call that we would call that ritualism, wouldn't we? Or another word for it, another big word for it is formalism. Like you're just doing it to doing it. You don't really yeah. care. Like yeah. here, God, you should be happy with my sacrifice. I don't really care about it, you know. I don't care about it, but but I did it and you should be happy. And and verse twenty four, I think, is the key verse to understanding what Amos is really speaking against, isn't it? Like he says, but let this huge verse, huge verse in the book. Yeah. And people sing songs about it, you know. But let justice roll on like a river. Beautiful imagery there. Righteousness like a never failing stream. So Amos is against hypocritical worship. He is against a worship life that just includes being Christian on Sunday. (laughs) And then you go out and be, uh, commit all kinds of acts of injustice, right? So faith of faith less, you know. You see what I'm saying? Like a faith-less Christianity. That's exactly it. And we could put it in terms of the Reformation, too. He's against ex opera operato type of worship. So, like... Now you're quoting Latin on me. Yeah, like, so the (laughs) Roman Catholic Church was saying, if you just just do the act itself... If you just perform, yeah. Do the act itself, you're good with God. And Luther said, no, it must be combined with faith. And that's the whole thing. Sola, sola, sola fide right there. And, and Amos is, is saying the same thing, that out of a faith-filled worship is going to roll uh, justice like a river. That's Well, the, and isn't, isn't that just huge? Like when we... When we approach, I mean, let's let's talk about this because because Amos is having us talk about this. Like when we show up at our church center, you know, at our worship life, at our home church, and and we're going to do worship, there could be nothing more that God despises than that we fake it. You know, like we go through, we have, let's say we have a liturgical opening formula, opening words of sin and grace, and we just, we say, Lord, have mercy. You know, like, I'm not sure why he should have mercy, but, you know, Lord, have mercy. <laughs> <laughs> and then the pastor, the pastor announces the gospel, like the forgiveness of sins. And you're like, well, I'm not really sure in your heart. And you know how that is. Like, it's in your heart. Yeah. And you're like, I'm not really sure why he's forgiven me or. Or you know, and or you don't receive it in faith, you know. Or you or you pray the Lord's prayer like you have your whole life, and you just and, murder that thing, and and then you're wondering like, did we pray the, the Lord's prayer? I can't remember, you know, like. <laughs> <laughs> or like you one. sit there and you sit there and 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 God's word is flowing from your pastor, and you got up too early that that morning, and so you're nodding off, and and God is like, why are you here? You're killing me. This is now, this is ticking me off. Now we should say that we do want people to go to church, right? We're pastors. Yeah. <laughs> That's a positive thing. But we want we want hearts that are in but, worship. Yeah, bring along your heart. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, bring your bring your whole heart and mind and strength to it as if it were the most important thing that you do every week when you because you are meeting with God. Um 
right. and then so like when you when you to come and you take the lord's supper and and you say boy i really don't deserve christ's body and blood right now boy i really shouldn't be having this but my god has given me grace and you just receive it in faith that's what that's what lights god up when yeah. we receive that in faith and and we trust him that he's forgiven us so we God, brought our heart to it then. He loves that kind of worship. And 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 then it's and then it's to to leave that place full of grace and truth and and to live that out then. This is this yeah. is a trumpet call to so go righteousness out on, on Monday morning, you know, and live it out. You know, this is mm-hmm. this is uh Yeah, I don't know what it's it's just this trumpet call to to be who God calls us to be when we do worship. Mm. Now, there there's something that I that I wanted to point out just that's missing from this list of things that they're doing. We we talked about the seven liturgical sins, but what what's missing here that was part of mosaic in ritual worship in those days is um, the sin offering. You see that? Mm. Like he doesn't say, I despise your sin offering um, or your guilt offering. That's the other thing that's missing. There's no guilt offering here. I'm assuming, you know, I don't want to assume too much, but you, you, you have to wonder, like, is that because they weren't bringing a sin offering? Yeah, you have to ask that question. Like, maybe they weren't even doing it. Like, were they bringing a guilt offering Mm -hmm. at all? And maybe not, because maybe they thought, I don't don't have any sins to... I don't have any guilt. (laughs) Like... More likely, though, they probably were. And so what are you saying? I don't know. I'm just, I'm, I'm proposing that. These were people who were obeying rules. They probably were bringing a guilt offering. But so for sure, what we can say is that if they were bringing, whether they were bringing them or not, God's not saying, I hate your sin offering and I hate your guilt offering. See, what do you make of that? Well, (laughs) what I make of it is that so a couple of different things. First of all, when we do worship, that what we need to, to do as part of our worship is confession. That's, that is definitely not something that God despises. <laughs> and, and, and absolution. Like this, we need to approach um, God's throne of grace as repentant sinners as part of our worship i think that's that's a really like important thing that we that we got to get the other the other thing that it makes me think of is jesus like he the ultimate sin and guilt offering and and god's not going to hate that offering he's not going to hate that in fact he's going to say that's what makes you pure and holy in my sight um despite any any time that you have brought to me um, this sort of hypocritical worship, and you know, here's the thing: like, if can we can we be honest about this just for a second and just say, like, 
every time, you know, that, that demand from God that's here to every time we approach him, to approach him with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, which is the first and greatest commandment, mm-hmm. is a commandment that we cannot possibly, as, as much as we want to, you know, as much as our new creation wants to, we don't. I mean, we come to church and we think about the ham at home or, or we come to church and we're trying to work out our personal issues instead of God, let, you know, working out our personal issues through his word. Um, and, and so we're at, war, we're at war with this. And so every time we come into his presence, um, you bring up such a great point as we come in and we say, Christ, you, you got to be my guilt offering here. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta be the one, which is why so many Lutheran churches, uh, the first thing that you're gonna do when you come into God's presence is you say, "I don't really, I, I, I don't deserve to be here at all." But, but here I am, and I'm gonna trust your grace to forgive me. It's, it's stunning to me that someone could think that you could come into God's presence without confessing sin. Like, I'll, I'll give you an example, like. There's, I like to listen to this playlist on Sunday morning. It's called Sunday Drive to Church. And there's these sort of these contemporary worship songs. And it's always stunning to me, like, they, like there's this one song that's like, I'm going to get my worship on. <laughs> yeah. And I, it's just so like, um, I'm not sure what the right word is. Like, it's flippant. Flippant, that's what I'm looking for. Like, I'm going to get my worship on. And, 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 and there's all these songs about coming into God's presence and stuff. And, but when, when Amos talks about God's presence, this theophany, there's, it's, he's never flippant, not ever. And, and it's always a matter of getting sins removed. They have sins got to be removed before you can become any kind of comfortable in God's presence, right? It's not sandals and coffee and all this other stuff, getting your worship on in God's presence. It's about getting sins removed um, before, bef- so you don't melt, you know, from it's God's like, holiness. It's like God establishing a new relationship with you through the forgiveness of sins. Through the blood of his only son, Jesus Christ. Yeah, it has to be that way, and I. So I do think it is huge that Amos doesn't say that I hate the guilt in the in the uh, sin offerings here. I I think we got to leave it there, Jonathan. Um, <laughs> wrapping up Amos chapter five there. Uh, next podcast, really cool stuff coming. We're gonna be talking about God bringing a word to the complacent and really getting into the heart of the sin in this book and also the the salvation that God has for his remnant. So thanks for joining us, everybody.